0: To give a little context about this show, it's TCA's Radio Hour, where we meet. It's supported by the Northern Rio Grande National Heritage Area. We thank them for their support, and they support this show because it's talking about northern New Mexico, about its culture, its traditions, um, its identities, and uh, in that context, uh, we have uh, Miguel Santistaman to to... Um, talk with us today, because on December 11th, he's going to be presenting a webinar on on maize corn. And uh, we'll talk a little more about that later. Uh, First, uh, let me give a brief introduction of who you are. I believe you grew up in Taos and Albuquerque. Um, and uh, as far as education goes, uh, you, you got a, a degree in a Bachelor of Science from UNM and then a Master's of Science in Ecology from UC Davis. And that all already revolves around, you know, the natural world around us, ecology, farming. Um, and right now you're a farmer, researcher and teacher. Um, you have uh, so many hats. I'm going to mention a few of them. Um, you have uh, a farm here in house called Sol, Sol Felicity farm. You also produced a radio show called Que Viva Las Acequias (laughs) for a while and uh, it still airs on uh, cultural energy here again in Taos. Uh, You've been mayor domo and president uh, of your digital association in 2010 and 2011. You were... um, Dealing with the New Mexico government to pass legislation to protect seeds um, here in New Mexico, and uh, then more recently, I think in 2012, you funded AIR, which is a nonprofit that was focused on farming um, and education, connecting um, local schools to uh, farming and educating children uh, from towns uh, about about farming and, and the land. Uh, I think you. You left AIR a couple of years ago as COVID came in, and um, just a few months ago, you started uh, uh, Escuela Sol Feliz. And that's within that context that we're meeting today. Um, That's, um, I think, an endeavor to to teach and share your knowledge of uh, the land, agriculture. And um, my hope is that we can uh, talk about that today and to take it all the way back. Uh, I wonder if you want to add anything to this introduction and then tell us what sparked your interest in the land agriculture in the first place
1: wow good morning um yeah that was quite an introduction i got all tired listening to all that (laughs) and um remembering but yeah i got into all this um you know because i was born in albuquerque and i did spend my summers here in taos with my grandparents and um then when i was about in fifth grade i moved to los alamos and um uh, you know so los alamos was great you know the, i moved to the mountains and you know i joined boy scouts and and uh but then i as i became a teenager i came to realize what los alamos was all about you know the nuclear industry and uh and the bomb factory is what we would call it, you know, the military-industrial complex. And uh, so I was kind of uh, tough as a teenager to to realize what I was looking at into the future, you know, with the turn of the century. You know, this was in the 80s. So um, I started looking for solutions ever since then. And uh, at first I was angry. So, you know, I became like a punk rock rebel, you know, got a drum set and uh, joined a band and, you know, we were all anti-nuclear themed. We had a song called uh, Pass One Down, which was like passing down all these problems from generation to the next. At that time, Los Alamos was run by the Department of Energy. So we had a song called DOE, but instead of Department of Energy, it was destroying our earth. And, um, you know, so, yeah, we punk rocked and heavy metaled it out through high school. And, uh, you know, and I joined Concerned Citizens for Nuclear Safety. And uh, back then they were constructing the whip site. I mean, before the show, we were talking about recycling and and. Things of that nature. You know, I learned in France that they turn their nuclear waste into glass. So it's a solid. So it's more uh, stable than the way we do nuclear waste here and in other places. So, uh, you know, I was just always flabbergasted about, you know, how certain countries or certain scientists or different entities had solutions to all these problems. But... For some reason, we don't actualize these solutions. We always have excuses. So then, you know, I took it upon myself to try and figure out, you know, how to actualize solutions at a variety of scales. I mean, starting with personal responsibility. So uh, that's what set me on the path. You know, I didn't really grow up with a culture and land grant culture, you know, I was always pushed into college, into engineering, into a job with benefits and, you know, and um, so that was good because that's how I ended up getting educated. You know, I ended up going to through all my college on scholarships. Because my mom was very insistent that I succeed in school And uh, and I did that, you know Because my mom was a single mom And um, and my dad had fallen down, you know, to drugs and alcohol So my mom picked us all up And, uh, you know, she was the one who got educated While I was coming to Taos in the summers She was going double time on... Uh, on uh, credits for for her degrees, and uh, and so she, eventually she ended up getting a master's in public administration, and and she ran a nonprofit, and then she applied for the lab and moved us to Los Alamos, and so I'd always honored that that my mom was you know such a hard worker and so determined to to make us successful in life so you know i did all i could i kept my grades up even though i was like punk rocking it out and stuff i always made sure that you know i had a's and b's and i got scholarships and did all my schoolwork and uh yeah so you know i got my bachelor's in biology you know i studied uh first order streams we had three streams that we were doing research on, one up here at the D.H. Lawrence Ranch. You know, that was like a granite uh, granite uh, um, stream system. We had a volcanic tough one in the Jemez and a sandstone one over there by Zuni. So I got all into the sustainability of water. And then at that time, I started uh, getting involved in the Chicano movement. And uh, learning more about my culture and history. And so I got involved with the land grants in the acequias, And then that was the first time I planted with the Atrisco Land Rights Council. And, uh, and they were, you know, working to preserve the land grant on uh, the west side of Albuquerque. And working to, uh, at that time, we were um, protesting the expansion of uh, Paseo del Norte which actually goes through sacred sites. Now, we lost that battle. They expanded that highway through sacred sites of the pueblos. Uh, And um, so we were activated. That was Tonantzin Land Institute, if people remember, you know, that from the uh, early 90s. And um, so that's how I got involved, you know, in college with the acequias and... uh, the land grants and um i ended up going to mexico with some of these activists and learning about you know the uh mexica or the azteca connection to northern new mexico history you know specifically the uh, tlaxcaltecas uh, from modern day Veracruz came to this area with the spanish and uh and i realized that it was you know all this uh culture and tradition whether it's uh mexicano or uh, mexica or pueblo you know it was basically all based on maize on corn production you know when i i met a a uh, teacher in Mexico, Maestro Andres Segura. You know, he was a very important leader in the Mexica tradition. He passed on in uh, 1997. May he rest in peace. But, you know, as he was teaching me the tonalama, the um, Aztec calendar, they call it, the Sun Stone. You know, he told me that the reason they did that in the first place was to get to know that corn taught them how to do that how to pay attention to the stars and to time because, you know, there's a timing to plant corn. And, uh, and in order to understand the timing, you had to have a calendar. And so, you know, I was, all, I was involved with all those uh, ceremonies and, and all that culture and tradition. But I realized for me, you know, and for everyone, you know, what was most accessible and what most made sense is to go back to the source. You know, to plant the corn and take care of it. And so then that brought me full circle back home. You know, well, I, I decided at that point that I wanted to come back to Taos. You know, I remembered that my the house I live in now was built by my grandfather and growing up that, uh, that was a great experience to come for the summers and the acequias would be flowing. Mm -hmm. I had no idea about the acequia system, the culture, the tradition. All I knew is there was a ditch going by my grandma's house and, you know, what fun that was in the summers. I looked forward to it all the time, but then as time went on and I, you know, learned all this stuff about corn and wanted to get into sustainability, I was like, wow, you know, at some point I might be able to end up in Taos. I might be able to, you know, uh, live with my grandparents or, you know, acquire my grandparents' house, and uh, and I did. And that's how I got, you know, uh, really direct and intimate with the corn traditions you know and now it's been what it's been like 23 years i've been on this property
0: that's a long time and um i'm very interested in the in the in the place that corn holds in cultures um i want to say across different cultures it seems like corn is seen as that uh, mother crop it's like a feminine presence in um, that relationship between human and the land corn is has a very specific role. And I wonder if you could um, talk about that or or maybe why that is, that corn is such a a key crop here, not only in northern New Mexico, but across Americas.
1: Yeah, and even uh, the world. I mean, look at the word corn. You know, we're talking about maize. And, uh, but corn, you know, is a European word. And, the word corn is, you know, any cereal, any grain And, um, and of course, now we attribute it to maize but, uh, but it's interesting because, again Back to the teachings I got from Maestro Andres Segura You know, who taught me about the Mexica tradition You know, I came to realize through all these teachings And then also through my uh, formal training in ecology You know, science likes to reduce all these organisms into their components, you know, into their phylums and focus on the differences of how everything is different from everything else and how it's categorized and put in boxes. You know, Maestro taught me that there's one living thing on earth and it's the mother earth. And that science is never going to gain consciousness until it understands that. That there's hardly a difference between, you know, the people in the trees. Because we're both, it's kind of like the difference between bone cells and blood cells. You know, they're connected. And everything that's alive is connected on earth. And, you know, through these teachings, I was just so fortunate to spend as much time as I did with the maestro. And, um, you know, I came to realize that, you know, we humans are, uh, and in a lot of ways, we are the, the language of the earth. You know, that was actually our main thing. If you look at the Aztec calendar, the tonalama. The central feature of the calendar there is, you know, Tonatiuh, the sun god. And if you look at the tongue, you know, the Spanish said, Oh, look at that tongue on the sun god. It's a flint knife. That means that all these Aztecs are obsessed about sacrificing each other's and they're bloodthirsty. And that's why we have to kill them and we have to convert them to Catholicism. Well, that was a lame excuse for a heavy-duty concept. The concept is is that the sun and the earth together, you know, the fire of the sun and the material of the earth is providing the basis for all of this life. And then ultimately, we become human as representatives of that life. We become consciousness. And the symbol on the tongue is tekpat, is the flint knife. And a flint knife is sharp. You know, it cuts. It also creates sparks and fire. And that's what language is. Language carves reality like a flint knife. And if you're not careful with your language, you can create a spark and create fires and burn things down. So the earth and the sun got together and created all this life so ultimately there could be language and through the language you know we have community and we have culture and we have all these things and in order for us to get to the consciousness the mother earth had to offer us you know a teacher and the teacher is corn the teacher is maize for us in the Americas, you know, the Africans have sorghum and teff, you know, and uh, the uh, Native Americans, of course, have maize, quinoa, amaranth. The Asians have rice, you know, and uh, other grains. I'm sure I'm not aware of. And then the Europeans had, uh, you know, the Caucasians had oats, barley, wheat, rye. So, you know, we're looking at these things as if they're just like, you know, monuments of our domestication, when actually these things, it's the flesh and blood of the earth giving us, you know, of her flesh so that we can eat abundantly so that then we can, you know, do art, make dance make cuisine create culture you know make technology so you know in this way we are a symbiosis we are in a mutualism with the earth we're not human beings onto ourselves you know we're kind of like ambassadors of the earth she gave us these gifts you know we developed all this culture through her gifts the gift of the light of the sun You know, that is the spark in our mind and the spark that keeps the heart beating. And then, of course, the earth is our flesh. You know, all the minerals that come from the earth are our bones and our blood is the water. And, you know, and we're just all entwined with all of these elements and all of this energy. And now we think we did it. And that, you know and that our discoveries are important, you know, when all of this was given to us to take care of. Mm -hmm. And we're lucky because we're in an area here, you know, in the Tewa world, you got to give credit to where you're at. You know, the Native Americans here have been taking care of this land and taking care of those gifts. So now a guy like me, a mixed blood like me, can come over here and learn all this stuff because they've been taking care of it so long, that I'm able to now learn about it, and uh, even acquire it. You know, I have, you know, the quote-unquote genetics of corn in my possession. You know, that uh, that is still still teaching me every year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's the basis of our culture. Here we are in the winter months, everybody now. That's why I'm offering this webinar on maize, because what is it about now? Now it's about tamales. Now mm-hmm. it's about pozole, you know, and that is um, because, you know, the corn is so productive. The maize, you know, out of all of those grains, the maize is the most productive of them
0: all you were um i think talking about how corn is a teacher in many ways and maize can like um has thought, uh about cycles and rhythms and um that's a bit of a stretch but i i feel like a lot of your work is also about sharing knowledge and about teaching people and um i wonder if you could tell us why that is important to you and If um, that is in some ways connected to the fact that we live here in northern New Mexico, where there are so many various and rich um, cultures that uh, meet and so many many people also coming uh, here to Taos. And I feel like um, in some regards, you've been a a guide for me to understand where I was and what I was doing here. And and yeah, I wonder if you can talk about um, the importance of sharing knowledge and teaching for you
1: yeah well again, you know um here we are in the tewa world, and uh the pueblos have always been you know generous and uh and human and um community oriented you know and then uh so that's some of my ancestry, and then here you had um the Spanish entry. But, you know, even though a lot of people say, oh, yeah, the Spanish came in to conquer this land, etc., cetera, et cetera. You know, there was more Mexican Indians that came with the Spanish than Spanish themselves. They were, you know, uh, farmers and, you know, crypto Jews and crypto Arabs and, you know, it's kind of like now, you know, 1% of us are the government or the elite or the rich people, you know, the other 99% of us are just people. Like we care about our kids, you know, we care about, you know, our families and uh, the most important things to us are, are our families getting together, you know, and like we are just talking about earlier you know this is a time of year where we do gather you know in the cold dark months around really good food and you know it's the highlight of the year to get together you know in our families and make tamales and make tortillas and make bread and make chile and do all that stuff so you know we've been doing that in this land taking care of this land whether it was the pueblos or the land grants or the acequias and you know the acequias are a good uh, model for you know how a community should relate to the land because you know we are communal we all help each other out to clean these acequias and um you know it's too much work for one person You know, you need a community to do that and you need a community to physically do it and you need a community backstage, you know, to feed the ones doing the work and to build the houses. I mean, specifically, you know, the men were cleaning the acequias and the women were uh, preparing the food while they were also mud plastering the houses inside and out you know so everybody was participating everybody was you know um working on the long-term sustainability of the community so that's what the acecas represent and in that way if we're really gonna solve these problems you know we gotta like do it together like physically like You know, intimately, we got to, like, work together. We got to help each other out. And, uh, you know, just writing books and being, you know, uh, an isolated person in an ivory tower isn't going to cut it. You know, there has to be some hands-on. And and that was one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten was from Dr. Uh, Sylvia Rodriguez. She says, you know... That I was in a unique position because I understand the academics of all this, you know, the uh, anthropology of it, the ecology of it. You know, I studied it in college, you know, and uh, got my master's degree and uh, and I almost got my Ph.D. A lot of people remember when I was going to UNM and working on my Ph.D., you know, that kind of fell through the cracks, but. You know, I did get all that training. And, uh, but then I've also ran the acequias as the mayor domo, as the president. And I've been putting seeds in the ground for, you know, over 20 years, almost 30 years now I've been farming. So I've got that, you know, breadth of experience. And I also know that the best I've ever done is when I've had help, you know, in In previous chapters of my life, you know, I used to have uh, UC Santa Cruz Spring Break Adventures come and set up tents on my land. And I'd run them through three or four days of workshops. You know, I had Colorado College. uh, Same thing, you know, cleaning my acequias and uh, doing community service. So, you know, I was doing stuff like that. And then that was kind of my motivation to get IRED to do a non-profit to support that type of work. And I did that. And, uh, and, um, you know, but then life happens, you know, I ended up having children and, and, uh, so then that changed, shifted my priorities and, um. So, but now, you know, my kids are getting older and, and I've done the nonprofit thing and, and, uh, as was mentioned earlier, you know, now I created an LLC, uh, Sol Feliz Enterprises, and, uh, and I'm trying it out again in a different way. You know, I have a group coming out, they're already scheduled in March, they want to do, uh, service learning projects, so, uh you know, I'll be getting with my acequia leadership, you know, I'm no longer a president or mayor domo or anything, you know. I did that for six years and uh, got all involved with the Abeta Water Settlement and and learned what was happening with, you know, the acequias around town and, uh, and all our different challenges, you know, and I'm still... Some will have my finger on the pulse of that But I'm still, you know uh, Actively involved in trying to be a good dad And a good husband And um, so that's my priority And uh, and then everything else is, you know Just trying to make ends meet And uh, doing what do they call it The Taos Hustle, the Taos Shuffle You know, I used to be a full-time uh, math teacher before that I was full-time science teacher you know I've been in and out of the classroom uh, for 10 years over the last 24 years I've been adjunct faculty at UNN, Taos at Northern College and uh, you know and I I could do all that again you know I have a teaching license I have all these uh, courses I've taught And then I thought, wow, you know, especially during COVID, there was all this online teaching. So then I was like, wow, you know, I should try that out, especially because people who have taken my classes, you know, they enjoy it and they encourage me to teach more. And, you know, I, people were always saying, you know, why don't you have a YouTube channel? Why don't? Where can I take your classes online? And, uh, I was like, well, I'm a middle school math teacher. So that's what I'm doing. Sorry. You know, I'm not adjunct faculty anymore. I'm not. I only do workshops when entities ask me, like, you know, the New Mexico ASEC Association has me doing workshops online, you know, periodically throughout the year. And, uh, so I was like, well, I could just do this myself. I could figure it out. So I've been boosting my website. And, uh, you know, my website is escuelasolfeliz.com. And, um, and I, you know, got my Zoom subscriptions and constant contact and, you know, figuring out all the little things that it takes to run a course online you know and it's kind of piecemeal together this is my third one you know my first one was I was 101 that one was pretty popular I was uh it was real encouraging you know I had like 16 people sign up and then my next workshop was uh sustainability 101 that one wasn't as popular but you know it was still worth my while and I developed the the uh framework you know the presentation so to speak and uh yeah and if you would have asked me you know two or weeks ago what i was gonna teach next i didn't know it just like hit me in the middle of the night oh i'm gonna i should teach about my east that's my master's thesis so you know that's what's happening now and uh I encourage people to get on my website and sign up because I'm not sure that Facebook and Instagram is working for me. You know, I'm not yeah. totally savvy.
0: It's it's pretty hard. Miguel, if somebody is considering joining the, the webinar you're going to be presenting on December 11th, um, what 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 would you want to share with them? What 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 is the scope of what you're going to be addressing? I think what I saw online on your flyer was that it's not only about the the agricultural part of, of maize corn, but also the cultural aspect and the role it has played in cultures before and forward. And I wonder if you can tell us a little more about it.
1: Yes, um, I'm basically you know I wrote my master's thesis on. Uh, The native corn of the acequias You know as an ecologist You're usually studying uh, Organisms and ecosystems So the organism I was studying per se Is maize and the ecosystem Is the acequia Landscape So you know My master's thesis Is the foundation of of A lot of what I'm talking about Um, You know So talking about the history you know how um, corn was, quote-unquote, domesticated, you know. Uh, there are some questions if you're really critical about science, which you should be, you know, because science is all about, you know, critical thinking, right? And uh, so there's, a, there's some loopholes in the idea of domestication that then makes me believe the maestro and saying, oh, well, there's something else that must have happened, You know, and then I start thinking of the Pueblo stories of the corn mothers and all this. But, you know, since it it was a scientific uh, type of exercise to get a degree, you know, I'll be covering what the science is on the domestication of corn and, you know, how it made it into all these areas. And then its role, you know, so there'll be some ecology about the acequias, you know, but if. People really want to learn more about that sick as that'll be a different webinar that I'll be offering again for the ones who missed the first one. You know, I'm going to be rotating these topics so far. I have four topics or five and uh, and then I'll start over. So if you miss one, if you can't make it, you know, people ask me if I'm recording it. But to me, that's a whole nother thing. I'd rather just be live. And if you can make it, that's great. And if you can't, then maybe you can make it next time. And then, you know, sometimes I'm giving talks in in the public venues, you know, when I'm invited. So, you know, that's also a possibility. But, yeah, just talking about all the ecology of corn, all the different types of corn, their uses, you know, how we'll get into, you know, how different people plant and the planting techniques you know, I'll get into some recipes, you know, because a lot of it when I was, it's funny to think, you know, when I was first studying corn, like the most important thing I wanted to learn was, you know, how do I make my own chicos? How do I make my own chaqueue? You know, how do I make my own atole? And it was like, you know, that it was hard to find that information. I had to find it from the grandmas and the people who are doing it and and uh, you know, there really wasn't a recipe book, and uh, and now there is. Now you can, you know, do some research online and you'll get recipes and ideas and stuff. But uh, I'm gonna tell you the way I learned, you know, and with credit to the teacher people who taught me, you know, how these uh, food traditions, you know, play out in your own kitchen. So I'll be sharing recipes and techniques and uh and then uh i'll be dropping some at the end of that webinar i'm gonna drop some heavy uh philosophy some heavy spirituality you know i touched on it here but um uh, you know there's a lot to what i've learned from taking care of corn and you know the journey that i've taken and uh and so I'll be sharing that, you know, and, um and yeah, you know, all my webinars are uh, two hours. They're all $44. You know, a lot of people take my class and say, oh, you should be charging more. This class was worth a lot more than that. Other people are charging more. And all I can say is, you know, hurry up and sign up because at some point, you know, I might raise the price. But right now I'm thinking, you know i wanted it accessible for people who really want to learn about it you know and maybe i'll never raise my price i don't know you know i'm just uh taking it as it comes taking it slow and uh, so this one's about my east i think my next one's going to be northern new mexico food traditions in general of course that might be a repeat of what i'm doing now um I'm going to do one on soil building, you know, I do a lot with uh, composting, I raise worms, I make my own biochar and everything I do is, um, you know, it has to be easy, not easy per se, but it has to be accessible, you know, my mantra is use what you have, you know, I'm not going to advocate for buying stuff. You know, I'm trying to spend as little money as possible because as a a brother of mine once told me, you know, all the money is printed with the blood of indigenous people. People don't realize that, but the basis of this economy is taking. And when you're taking from the earth, you're taking from the people who are taking care of the earth. So... When they're cutting down trees, they're cutting down trees on somebody's sacred land. When they're drilling oil, drilling gas, you know, that is somebody's sacred land that they took care of for millennium before these people came over here with their laws and their guns to say, oh, well, these resources are now ours. So I'm trying, you know, everybody needs money because we all got to, like, buy stuff, that's necessary, but you know, I'm advocating a minimalism when it comes to, you know, um consumerism in general and then, you know, when it comes to working the land, well guess what? You know, I've met farmers who can get, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of corn, you know, with a bag of seed and a stick. Like, it can be done that way. There are people, you know, specifically out in Hopi, you know, who know how to do that. You know, and of course, they talk about the most important thing is, you know, intention, ceremony, prayer, you know, and uh, and a relationship, you know, is what's important to being able to grow corn with a bag of seed and a stick. But, you know, that's what I'm working towards. I'm not working towards, you know, all these fancy, grandiose solutions, you know, where the person who has the most money can be the most sustainable. I'm looking for the solution that says, hey, you know, if you've got a stick, you know, I'll give you some seed and we can try it out. And guess what? It's going to work. So uh, if you have a good heart about it so you know those are the types of methods that i advocate for whether it's you know planting or building soil you know or trying to be sustainable you know less is more so that's kind of the perspective that i'm uh, teaching from and i think when you know people take my course they appreciate that because you know it's nothing fancy you know i'm A lot of people are like, oh, I want to be sustainable. I need to get, you know, an electric car. I need to get lithium batteries, big ones. And it's like, uh, actually, no, you know, you want to be sustainable. You got to learn how to mix mud and uh, straw, you know, because everyone has access to that. You know, there has to be sustainability that's totally, you know, democratized that's totally for the common person because you know one of my favorite lines was john Trudell. you know he's like making you homeless on earth it's like we're all earthlings over here you know this is our home and we should all have opportunities there shouldn't be you know homelessness on earth you know we should all be able to live and uh and have, you know, the basic rights, you know, clean food, clean water, clean air. And uh, the good news is that if you really work with biology and you really work with culture and innovation, like real innovation, not technological innovation, but you know, the earth can process all of this. If you you know how to raise worms, the worms will do all the work for you. You know, if you know how to herd sheep and goats or cows, you know, you can set up a situation where they do all the work for you. And all you have to do is kind of facilitate. And then, you know, the sustainability happens. And so, you know, I'm still learning myself. And, um, but, you know, I've learned a lot already, so I'm trying to teach what i am learned, and then the people I teach end up being better at it than me, and then they come back and they say, oh, yeah, I figured this out. This has already happened to me a lot of times so where I teach what I know, and then my students come back, and they've taken it to another level because... You know, they have a whole other perspective on it. So it's going to take all of us and, uh, and you know, I'm doing my little part. And then, you know, I'm looking for it's kind of like I'm throwing a, pond, a pebble into a pond. And then that creates ripples, right? It ripples outwards. And then, you know. And then eventually those ripples hit the edge of the pond and then they ripple back and then those ripples interweave and, you know, and create kind of like a basket. And that's what I feel like I'm doing. And then all of you as you're doing it, too, because, I mean, look where we're at. Well, I got the earth ships right next door. You know, you got all kinds of sustainable modalities that everybody's doing. So all of us are just throwing those, pond, those pebbles into the pond, and making those concentric circles that interweave. And at those intersections are people who go uh, have an aha moment. And you know, little by little, we're going to weave this community tighter and tighter together. And all the methodology, and you know, we're gonna pull through this. It's like I'm, you know, don't. Don't despair at the news. The news is set it up to make you afraid, to make you feel helpless, you know, to make you go out and try and satiate yourself with, you know, consumable goods. And in actuality, you know, it's like we can do all this in a good way.
0: Well, that's um, so good to hear. So hopeful. And it's so good to hear because you're actually. Um sharing that with us, and uh, it's accessible here in Taos, uh, in this place. Miguel, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate your time, your thoughts, and I'm super excited about this series of webinars you're teaching.